Investigative journalist and fringe researcher Grant Cameron is no stranger to the ET UFO story. In fact, his quest into this puzzling yet important subject began in 1975 when he personally witnessed a sighting in Canada, which popularly became known as Charlie Red Star. Some 40-plus years later, Cameron's work has become synonymous with the presidential aspect of ufology, a big aspect to be sure. But what some of you may not know about this thorough and inquisitive journalist is his research into the E.T. influence on the musical scene. According to Grant, this influence is huge and, in his words, complex. After following what seemed to be an endless trail of clues, Grant Cameron is clear our most influential musicians are in contact with non-human intelligence. Since we're in the midst of a presidential election, it was definitely tempting for me to make this the centerpiece of our discussion today, and that being the integral role um, that the ET UFO subject plays in American politics, and you've obviously covered this so well. But honestly, when I saw you speak last month uh, out in Los Angeles at the Conscious Life Expo, you'd spent some time talking about the compelling evidence to show uh, that some of our most influential musicians have a direct link to non-human intelligence, and something told me to run with that. Uh, but perhaps later in our discussion, uh, we can draw a nexus between the two. There just might be. But for now, I'd like to go with this because I think this is an intriguing part of this big subject we call the ET UFO phenomenon. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> there's a lot of meat to this. Well, let's face it. I think there's there's a lot of meat to every little aspect of, of the ET UFO phenomenon. As you know, we just had a little chat off, uh, off air about... Um, uh, well, let's just say some juicy stuff we're going to leave toward the end w- yeah. relative to presidential politics. But for now, let's get into uh, the musician's role in this. You had a fantastic audience. Just so you know, he gave an absolutely stellar presentation, as you always do at the, the recent Conscious Life Expo right. and covered uh, quite a few dimensions to this story. But again, uh, I really found uh, some sort of a, a, a connection with the idea that some of our most loved musicians may just have uh, this connection. So let's start, let's start with that. Where, where did you uh, get the sort of um, nudge to, to run with this? Well, that, that's kind of an important part of the story is that people have to realize, um, even though I'm, I'm doing this uh, manuscript called Music and the Paranormal, yeah. um, I'm a musical idiot. I <laughs> do not play an instrument. Um, I've never really listened to music intentionally in my life. I, I listen to talk radio and now don't really listen to even to that. Um, my father died about 10 years ago. My father would mm-hmm. absolutely roll over in his grave if he laughing, that, knowing that I would write, was doing a book on, on music because it really wasn't part of my life. What happened was um, I had the, the UFO stuff, which I was doing, the presidential stuff, and I had a download which sort of influenced this whole thing in 2012 and this download sort of uh, gave me the impression that non-local consciousness was at the basis of the UFO phenomena. And that sort of changed everything for me. I sort of got started getting into the, the consciousness aspect. Mm-hmm. So I was working on that, and I, I'm very interested in experiencers, people who believe they've been on, on the ship or who have interacted with the, the beings behind the UFO phenomena. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them uh, uh, phoned me up one day. 
And I had known him very well and had met with him, had gone to his place in North Carolina and a very prominent businessman who had this experience. And he phoned me up and he said, Grant, I just want to let you know that um, the message is in the music. They told me, they, they told me the message is in the music. Hmm. And I went, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, uh, I think w- what's happened to me a lot in my UFO career is that uh, I got dragged down these rabbit holes not even wanting to go. My original sighting, I, had, I didn't intend that. My download, I didn't intend. And here's another thing where somebody's phoning me and saying, well, you know, music is a key part of this thing. And I really didn't pay any attention. And then he said, well, he mentioned two songs that um, he had a very definite feeling that these two songs were uh, involved. One was Led Zeppelin's Cashmere, which I don't yes. think I've even still listened to the whole song. I've listened to parts of it. I want to get into uh, the lyrics of that, by the way. I yeah, have oh, some of them. Go ahead. Continue. Good. Yeah. And But the, the one that caught me was, he said, and the other one was Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? Neil Young? I said, you, you think, you got the impression that Neil Young is one of the, the, uh, the musicians that's involved? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, Neil Young um, grew up where I live. And I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is sort of like a, most people really don't know where it is. It's sort of in, uh, notorious as the coldest city in the world. Uh, but it's sort of in the middle of nowhere. But we have had a number of kind of big bands come out of here, and Neil Young was, was one of them. And so if it had not been for Neil Young being one of the two musicians that he named, I never would have touched this, not, not in a million years. But mm-hmm. I was kind of intrigued. And so I went and I looked at the, the lyrics to um, uh, After the Gold Rush, which was written by Neil Young in 1968. Mm-hmm. And wh- what I discovered was this very bizarre connection that, as I said, I had been studying experiencers and what the experiencer messages was, because that's to me was I had done the presidents and the presidents know what's going on. But they're not about to tell you. But if you talk to an experiencer, somebody who's been on the ship, uh, they're being told what's going on, and they will tell you what's going on. That's so right. uh, I'd watched the experiencers, and um, the, the message that's in After the Gold Rush is basically the experiencer message. Because uh, I believe a, a lot of what is happening in ufology or, or with, with aliens or whoever it is, is that people ask me, what's, what are they here for, what it is, and I say, if you want to know what it's all about, think about alarm clocks. Don't think about uh, uh, aliens here to eat us or any of this kind of stuff. It's basically, they are alarm clocks. They're giving us warnings. They're here for very specific reasons because of things we've done, and, and it's our time to, to raise consciousness. And the song after the gold rush is basically the, the, one of the key messages of the experiences, which is we are treating the world like a gold rush. Mm-hmm. And when the gold is gone... It, it will become a, a ghost town. And then the silver seeds, this is what he refers to in the song, the mm-hmm. silver seeds will come and take the chosen ones, which is what now, 30 years later, or 40 years later, uh, we refer to the experiencers as the chosen ones. The chosen ones. Uh, we'll take the chosen ones to another planet. And this is the, the idea, this environmental message, which is one of the key messages that the experiencers talk about, that they talk about seeing what's called the screen on the ship. And I will ask most of them, I'll say, have you seen the screen? And they'll say, yeah, I was shown the screen. And on the screen, uh, there are these... Um, images of the environmental damage that we're doing to the earth Mm -hmm. and they're sort of shown these various uh, scenarios of depending what we do in the next couple of years of uh, you know bad to worse Mm -hmm. and uh, this is the basically the song of Neil Young and 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 this after the gold rush and what I found then 
was that a number of uh, other musicians had actually sang the same song, and they turned out to be experiencers as well. Uh, Patti Smith, mm -hmm. who is uh, famous for being one of the first musicians to play on uh, Saturday Night Live, who sang the so song Gloria, uh, is clearly an experiencer. She wrote uh, her main music back in 75, 76, and if you look at some of the lyrics uh, to her songs... Um, you'll see that she's clearly talking about being an experiencer, being on the ship, uh, you know, this abduction type thing. And so she sang the song, and then I found a couple of others. Uh, Dolly Parton was one. Mm. Uh, most people don't know Dolly Parton actually wrote a song about abduction. And um, so when I saw it, she had actually gone to Neil Young, because she and Linda Ronstead and one of, one of the other trio, part of the trio, wanted to sing the song. So she'd gone to Neil Young, and she said, what do the lyrics mean in After the Gold Rush? What were you getting at? And he said, I have no idea. I, have, I was totally stoned when I wrote it. I have no <laughs> idea. He said, uh, every verse could mean something different depending upon what I was on. So he claims he doesn't know what it's about, but suddenly you get these experiencers all singing this, this, um, this song. Yeah. And um, it was at that point that I, I was interested enough to start looking. And it was at that point that I found that there was actually a book written about this. And uh, the guy's name was Mike Luckman. He was a music producer in New York City, and he wrote a book called uh, uh, Alien Rock. And he basically is 320 pages of one musician after another musician after another musician. And he knew some of the top musicians. He was good friends with uh, um, Michael Jackson and uh, had a lot of conversations with um, David Bowie, yes. knew David Bowie's wife very well. And so he had dealt with these people. And he'd written this book, and when I wrote, read this book, I figured, like, wow, there, there is a connection here. And I sort of got dragged down the rabbit hole, and I started to work. And once I started working on, the, on this music connection, Michael Luckman contacted me, and he said, well, I'm going to do a second book. I've got so much material, I'm doing a second book. So he started on the second book, and his, his version of the story is, isn't it interesting how he's mostly into rock musicians, how the, many of the rock musicians got into UFOs, and they're interested in it. My, mine was more coming from this download consciousness thing, mm -hmm. is why would the aliens be doing this, and how many uh, musicians are experiencers, more in terms of uh, the, the bigger aspect, not just if they're interested, because there's uh, a lot of them are way more. At one point, I actually thought, that every musician was into this. I mean, it was just it was just becoming so common. And then what happened was um, Mike Luckman actually passed away last year, and I was hmm. so shocked. He had um, you know the second book going. I don't really happen to it. I really don't anybody in New York City who had close enough contact to know what happened to the manuscript. But he was actually going to put together uh, what was going to be called um, an alien Woodstock, and uh, it was going to happen. It was going to happen in Malibu, California, and he had. Um, David Bowie, I believe, had agreed to this. And look, uh, he's he not had, here now. <laughs> and he had talked about bringing the Stones, the Rolling Stones, to this uh, concert. Hmm. And uh, a guy by the name of um, um, Merrill Fankhauser, who's famous for writing the song Wipeout in the 1960s. He uh, started surf rock. Uh, he was going to be there. They were going to do it at Pepperdine University mm -hmm. in the stadium there. And they were just working on getting... Um, the permits from the city because you bring in these big bands but it was going to be like a Woodstock and all these experiencer musicians people who had had these experiences with UFO were going to come in and do this and then unfortunately Mike Luckman died so there's still been some discussion in California and also in Toronto Canada of trying to pull this thing off because there are I think enough um, musicians around 
Uh, and they're not like politicians or like ordinary people on the street where they may be hesitant to um, talk about it. Musicians are, you know, they're sort of very radical. They really don't care what anybody thinks about them. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, very right-brained, very open. And uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But that's basically the story is that when I got into it, I suddenly realized this was, this was a massive story I think you're right. of, of, of uh, musicians and this yeah. connection. And, and it turned out it wasn't just rock musicians. It was all musicians. And it also deals not so much with aliens. I found that's why I changed it. I was going to be um, a- aliens and uh, and uh, music. And then I found out there was this other connection that it was not much. There was there was other people that were claiming it wasn't just aliens. Like uh, Meryl Fankhauser, for example, never claimed that it was aliens. He was getting these downloads. And the other one was uh, Carlos Santana, mm-hmm. who um, was claiming he was getting his material from a, an archangel by the name of Metatron. Mm-hmm. And it, it some of his big music actually connected into the alien thing. So it's um, ki- kind of interesting and yet sort of mind-boggling how, how deep this goes and how many musicians are actually involved in this. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you for that very, very detailed um, description of you going down the rabbit hole. And I dare say you did. You know, as you were talking about Neil Young, I was chomping at the bit because I'm looking at the lyrics. And I'm going to read for the audience. I think you alluded to a couple of the things that that are definitely uh, would pique your attention. I'm going to read. Well, I I dreamt I saw the silver spaceships flying in the yellow haze of sun. There were children crying and colors flying all around the chosen ones. All in a dream, all in a dream, the loading had begun. They were flying Mother Nature's silver sea to a new home in the sun, flying Mother Nature's silver sea to a new home. Yeah, I dare say uh, there's there's more than a subtle reference there. Yeah. And yet, it's what I find, Grant, is that these lyrics, obviously, they're, they're high poetry, haiku in some cases, and um we're not just talking about a silver craft in the sky. It's talking about a story of consciousness and the the chosen ones, you know, what makes me think of the new children uh, Mary Rodwell has referenced and uh, the indigo crystal um, phenomenon, the, the names that, that are used to describe perhaps these chosen ones. So there's, there's, um, there's a universal message. I think that there's a timely message in these some of these lyrics. Many of them. We could talk about Pink Floyd. We can so many, but yeah, I think um, I think you're onto something here. But let's. Uh, I want to talk about you. You wrote an absolutely phenomenal um, forward to the book, relatively new book, Meet the Hybrids, by my our friend Barbara Lamb and her co-author Miguel Mendonca, both of which will be on the show. Uh, shortly. And in it, you did reference um, some of the musicians uh, by name that you felt to have uh, ET connection. Perhaps maybe some of them are hybrids themselves. You got Jimi Hendrix, uh, P-Funk originator George Clinton, Vince Taylor, of course, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, John Denver, and David Bowie. And there are others, of course, but these are the ones who stood out for me. You know, it's also note that all but one of these artists are no longer with us many of whom died quite young and or under tragic circumstances. Perhaps there's a link there, too, that we can get into. I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, um, I don't know. I haven't really looked at that. I mean, we'd have to... Um, it, it, it's a possibility, but there's still a lot of them running around who... Sure. You know, who are, are, are into this thing, and it's um, it, it's it's bizarre. I mean, um, 
I, I still it still boggles my mind. I, I mean, I had the impression why it was is that um, my, my basic um, theory behind this is this whole thing of a raising consciousness that mm-hmm. when people look at the UFO phenomena, they look at um, very simplistically, like uh, these are aliens with uh, you know little metal uh, flying saucers, and they have this little anti-gravity engine. And if we get the engine out there, we can put it in our SUV and drive you know free for for years to come. And this is why they're here. And I always say, well, no, people are confusing aliens with Santa Claus. It's not why they're here. <laughs> that there's this uh, a bigger uh, picture to this whole thing, and um, th- these musicians are sort of helping to. Uh, put this message out. So if you are, uh, if you get into the abduction thing, I always say to people when I'm trying to explain this is when you meet somebody who's an experiencer or abductee, we now know, we didn't know for years, but we now know that they're lifers. That if you've been uh, talking about an abduction experience, say when you discover at 30 years old or 40 years old or whatever, uh, when you get regressed, you'll find out that it's been going since you were in the crib. You said that, yeah. They start taking people very young. And so you'd have to look at the reason is uh, quite evident to me is that you want to get the uh, blank canvas to paint on. Uh, once you're 20 or 25 years old, if you haven't been abducted, they could care less about you because your your worldview is set and you're you're not going to change very much of anything. It's uh, so that's why they abduct young children. And the whole thing behind the musicians is uh, when you when you have a child, when that child is between you know one year old and 10 years old, the parent you are their hero. But once they're 10 years old, uh, they start saying, "Can you please move away from me? Get lost." I, they they really aren't into that. They're into their friends, mm-hmm. and they're into looking for something to separate themselves from their parents. They want the, their own world, their own view of what they want to do. They want to make a mark in the world, and so they're looking for something. And that's the 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 people who are uh, have the say between t- ten years old and twenty five years old, whose heroes are musicians. And so, if you want to put the message through, it would make sense that you would put it through musicians who are influencing this very prime group of people who are out there looking for something to do in the world mm-hmm. and that that's just my impression of, of what it is and plus musicians are all very right-brained and yeah. and most experiencers are very right-brained that's what um roger lear who was the guy who did all the um um the implants uh, implant yeah. stuff mm-hmm. in in los angeles he was asked, what are the two things that are common with all experiencers? And he said, um, one is that they're all right, right-brained creative people. And the other one was that uh, all implants are on the left side of the body. Hmm. And uh, that is fit That's into my research dealing with uh, consciousness with right brain, left brain, that people have two brains, they don't have one brain. And the left brain is the uh, ego uh, mind, the physical, uh, you know, rational, analytical mind, and the right brain that writes, runs the left side of the body where all the implants are is this uh, sort of uh, non-local brain that can tap into the uh, non-local consciousness. And so it would make sense that they would put the implants on the left side of the body because they want to influence the, the right, right side, side brain, brain, which yeah. is the same thing that the musicians are using. So you, you get uh, these weird parallels for example in in music the vast majority of the major musicians in the 20th century uh, could not read or write music mm-hmm. and uh, you know you're looking looking at uh, all the beatles you're looking at s- some of the stones uh, barbra streisand uh you know uh 
Michael Jackson, a, a lot of the major musicians couldn't read, read or write music. So that's right brain music. That's creative music, waiting for an inspiration, waiting for a download, waiting for something to come, playing by ear. Left brain music, the rational analytical music, is you send your kid to uh, music lessons and they practice scales and they memorize that's what right. somebody else has done. There's really no creativity there at all. Yeah. So you, you start to see these parallels and it starts to fit in uh, what they're doing. And so it, it, my major belief is that uh, aliens are alarm clocks they're here to raise consciousness they're here to put across messages and this is one of the main ways they're doing it almost like subliminal advertising mm -hmm. people will say i don't believe this is going on i don't believe you can do this and i say well do you uh, why would someone then pay four minutes uh, four million dollars for 30 second ad on the super bowl that's right if you don't believe that people can subliminally be affected by something because you don't watch the super bowl ad and say oh, okay i'm going to stop the super bowl i'm going to get up and go buy a car this is all done subliminally and i think uh, the aliens know how this is done in big time and um, they are just sl slowly moving us in this direction because mm -hmm. you can't really uh, totally interact with us and force us to do stuff so it's being done indirectly subliminally and influencing these ages where people are still open to new ideas mm -hmm. very well said I think you're absolutely right I hadn't uh, was not aware of uh, I believe Dr. Roger Lear and I obviously I'm familiar with his work in um, implants stellar work there but um, his rationale in, in finding the implants on the left side of the body, which is absolutely right, left side of the body affects the right side of the brain, that is really quite interesting, quite brilliant. You know, before I lose this thought, I wanted to make a comment on why it could be that uh, – what we what we refer to as aliens may be using musicians and the music as a conduit. Now you talk about the lyrics, and of course words have very strong connotations. We attach so much meaning to words and messages. But Grant, let's talk a little bit about tone as well, yeah. and the 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 role that tone in music plays on the human physiology and psychology as well, because I have a feeling there's something going on there. I mean, you know, I, I think back uh, when I was a kid, and believe it or not, I grew up loving uh, – <laughs> Uh, Pink Floyd and 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 the group Boston. I want to talk about that. I actually knew a couple of the band members, seeing that they're from here. Um, and it's funny because then I was singing along, but I wasn't allowing the lyrics. To, I wasn't really going crazy with the lyrics. I just knew the words and I liked the sound of it. So I have a feeling that sound can can play an equal role. Now later I'd go back, look at the lyrics, and say, "Oh my goodness, look at what I've been singing," or you know. Humming along to. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think tone. Now we're getting into frequency, which I'm sure that these yeah. n various non-human intelligences are uh, extraordinarily familiar with and how that can play uh, an integral role in shifting the paradigm as well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because we, we always fall back into the illusion of the physical world that things are physical and they're solid and whatever. And one of the things you learn when you start getting into the paranormal or the study of ufology is that uh, there is no real time and space. There, there is no physical world. And it's all vibration. Because uh, people will say, well, you know, I, I don't b believe that you can, um, you know, move from here to there or th through time and space. And you, you start looking at it, and when you break the physical world down, Basically, you just have uh, these sort of uh, fields, not really even particles when you break it right down, and it's all got to do with vibration. So, mm -hmm. and aliens even given to this message, it's all vibration. Um, so, 
you whether it's the emotion of the song uh, that's why i think it's so involved it's not a simple it's not going to be a simple sort of thing we sort of take music as just you know something that entertains us but when you start looking at um there was even this um and i see i'm not a musician so there's there's this talk about um um the different moving music from 440 hertz to 432 yeah. i'm very familiar yeah. with it <laughs> and and if you get into if you ever interview um michael lee hill mm-hmm. who he's really big into this and to into the frequency thing and he claims to be the biological son of eric clapton mm-hmm. and he's very much an experiencer and and has had a lot of uh, major sightings uh believes he's um, in contacted uh, involved with the Anunnaki through you know uh, this reincarnation type thing with the Anunnaki very very bizarre sort of ancient alien story uh, but he he talks about this all the time and there's a number of people but of course I don't really I, I sort of follow it but I don't follow it because um, it's never been my field this music thing but musicians will talk about this an awful lot the importance of of moving this this um, music and changing it and and how it um, it affects us that even mm-hmm. the powers that be may be trying to manipulate us with uh, changing the frequency of music. Mm-hmm. And Eric and I think uh, Colin Andrews talked to me about this thing that unless uh, uh, the emotion in a song is very important, that if you can create the right emotion, it triggers the the message to be implanted. So mm-hmm. this is where I think it's going to be very very complex when you come right down to what's actually going on. It's not just simple a simple thing as lyrics or right. uh, tone or vibration. It's all of these things, and the mm-hmm. aliens basically know how it all works. And uh, I think they've probably done this on a thousand planets before, and they're just going through the motions and and moving us up to the um, to the next level. And they know exactly what they're doing, and we just sort of assume that we um, jump onto a theory and and think that we we've got it solved. But I, I think it's going to be very very complex, and it actually involves much more uh, spiritual stuff, which mm-hmm. people really don't like to get into when you get into the music thing. But the example I always bring up is um, we we as I said we always fall back into this physical world, and this is just aliens flying through uh, time and space, and you know with this metal flying saucer and stuff and it, no i'd say if you take a look at musicians and the one that point points this out the best is the moody blues and anybody in the the paranormal or ufos is fascinated with the moody blues and their music and the, the lyrics in their music and it's not very simple songs and one of my good friends is colin andrews who did the crop circles he's the top mm-hmm. authority on crop circles actually invented the term crop circles hmm. and he's had five bands come to him and he mentioned Renaissance and uh, the the guy, um, um, the, well, the Moody Blues came to him. And the story he told about the Moody Blues was that they came to him um, before a lecture and said, we'd like to talk to you. Can we talk to you after the lecture? And he said, okay, fine. And so after the lecture, they go for dinner. And it's Mike Pinder, the lead for the, for the Moody Blues, and his lead guitarist. They were there. They go for dinner, and Colin told, he's told the story on air, but he told me, he said, uh, you could tell they weren't making this story up because it was going back and forth and back and tell them mm-hmm. this, tell them this. And they're, they're either, both guys are telling the story. And they said they remember before they were born. And they remember being in a round room with some sort of elder type people. And they were told, you are going to be musicians. And you're going to go into the world and you're going to put these lyrics into songs. And you're going to help raise the consciousness of the world. And uh, then they talked about, tell them how we came back on the earth. And they talked about how they came back on the earth and picked their parents and all this kind of stuff. And I say, you may not believe me if I talk about multiple lives or, or, or be 
remembering stuff before I was born. But when you hear the Moody Blues, this is not some, you know, uh, band that your brother-in-law played at the, the bar one time. This is a big band that sold 50 million albums. This is a major band. And they very clearly had been uh, abducted in 1967. They don't deny this. The whole band was taken in 1967 in uh, in England, coming from Manchester into London. They were three hours late. I remember the UFO, and, and some of them have drawn the alien that they, they believe they encountered. So you, you have this thing, and I say if you have one single case, and we have lots of them, but you take the Moody Blues, you have one single case of this experience, of this UFO experience that goes back before birth, this is no longer a physical phenomena. Right. This is now a spiritual problem. It's an ontological thing, and it involves multiple lives, and it involves very complex uh, things that have nothing to do with, uh, you know, just aliens coming from another planet. This I think is a you're very right. complex phenomena. Yeah, oh boy, I think you're really onto something. I could not concur more. I mean, as I'm listening to, to the variety of stories that you're telling, there are so many... Um, phenomena, let's just say, that come into play here. Uh, nothing is precluded. Out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, ESP, um, you know, uh, psychedelic experiences. Um, and not only we're using the term I suppose, quite loosely grant alien or even ET, I'm somewhat yeah. loath to use because I think that we're also talking about a cornucopia of intelligence that is extra dimensional, interdimensional, between dimensions within the earth. You're right. It is complex. And I always say the moment we think we have figured it out, <laughs> you might as well just forget it because oh, it's multidimensional. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Even myself, when it comes to aliens, and I've sort of brought it up a couple times and people sort of they don't like the idea, so I sort of I've sort of dropped it because I haven't, I haven't really thought it through a lot much. But this may not even be aliens. And one of the examples I give is if you ever run into an experiencer, you ask them this question. You say, okay, you, you dealt with a lot of different aliens, but you had one alien who has uh, basically answered all your questions, has calmed you down, has been sort of like the, uh, the leader. That has dealt with you and given you the answers and explained what's going on. And everybody will say, Yeah, yeah, there's one particular one. And I say, Can I ask you a question? Did that person, did that alien ever get any older? I asked that to Betty Andreessen, who had her first experience in 1944, and her husband, who had his first experience in 1944. And everybody will say the same thing No, it never got any older, but aliens live a long time. And, and then I say, you, you look at the phenomena of the aliens, and you and I, and everybody on this earth looks completely different. We all look different. All snowflakes are different. All leaves on a tree are different. There's no two leaves on the tree the same. And yet you, people will describe the aliens, and they'll say, it was like cookie cutter. I mean, That's they right. all looked exactly the same. <laughs> and so you start looking at this thing, especially with the thing with the alien not getting older, I mean, if they didn't get any older, and Betty Andreessen is now 80 years old. She had her first experience when she was like seven, uh, 70 some years, and the alien not getting older. Are we actually dealing with an alien? If it doesn't get any older, or are we dealing with a screen image of right. some sort of paranormal uh, or some sort of uh, uh, thing? Like a lot of people will describe, for example, uh, an alien that's a ball of light. Mm -hmm. And so the, the ball of light turns into a gray. So the question is, does a ball of light get up every morning and have bacon, eggs, toast, and coffee? Right. <laughs> I mean, so you're, you're looking at uh, the reality of it is, I think, that you and I are spiritual beings. We are uh, balls of light who have taken on a physical form to do whatever, mm -hmm. learn lessons uh, or whatever. And the aliens are the same thing. They just may be able to manipulate it more that they can move. They are the ball of light and they can move into uh, 
a physical reality. Because you'll very rarely ever hear an experiencer ever talk about aliens eating anything. Um, and a lot of them will say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're here for physical reasons and stuff, and they're going to steal our gold. That was a big one. And I said, have you ever heard an example of an alien wearing jewelry? You, never. So, I mean, if they're going to steal our gold, what are they using the gold for? Yeah. And well, you'll see almost no physical element to aliens. They right. don't have any furniture. There's no leather couches on the, on the ship. They're, they basically have very primitive, just like all they need in the ship to do what they're doing. They don't really wear clothes. There's no designer clothes. There's almost nothing physical about an alien when you really come down to it. Mm-hmm. And then you start looking at this thing that it is probably... I'll bet. I'll, I'll bet the farm. It's going to be some sort of spiritual thing that it really doesn't have very much to do with the physical world at all. I agree. It's just they have to interpret it. They have to present it to us in a physical way because we're in this physical three D reality. Right. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right about that. There's one little thing I want to. If I could just play devil's advocate for a yep. moment on the gold thing, and I agree with you. I've never. Well, I don't know that I've ever seen it. Quote alien, but I certainly haven't seen one or a depiction of one wearing jewelry. However, Grant, I have heard, and I may be speaking a little out of school, that in terms of the gold. Um, you know, we know that there are uh, other purposes for gold other than its physical qualities. There's an mm-hmm. energetic quality as well, being that it's a natural source. So I don't know, that could be up in the air a little bit, but I, I get your point. I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that and we cannot skirt this issue, people, uh, that this is a spiritual issue. I, you know, the, 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 the stigma that goes along with spirituality, I think, has been tarnished a great deal. But again, and you know, you talk about the physicality or lack thereof of these beings, um, you know, it reminds me or their ability to, to shift from one form into a non-form and, you know, the particle wave duality, we're almost talking about that quantum perspective. Um, yep. But it also reminds me of their shape-shifting abilities like I've talked so much about this, my audience is sick of it, probably the shadow being phenomenon, the djinn, uh, these these elusive beings that are make, made of um, fireless smokeless fire, um, all of these things, there seems to be some incredible common thread that's creating this massive tapestry, I, yeah. I, I think, for sure. But yeah, I, I get your point on the spirituality aspect that that cannot be ignored. So, well, where do we go from here? My goodness. Let's talk about George Clinton and Funkadelic, man. That <laughs> And he's still <laughs> around. Maybe we can grab him and pick his brain a little bit. Uh, that's another one. Not, and that's not rock and roll. Although I think they're, you know, R and B, I guess, or funk. Uh, same thing. Let's look at the the cover, uh, the album artwork on some of these covers, including George Clinton's album. Um, the I think it's called Mothership Connection. I'm going to see if I can get some images of these album covers. Blatant spaceship. The group Boston. I don't know. I was a big fan of Boston. Their their uh, self titled album, a spaceship. Right. Oh. Yeah, here we go See, again. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and what 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 amazed me was a lot of these people are people who originated a certain type of music. Mm-hmm. They aren't just yeah. um, they. If you go back, they're a lot of times the guys who invented a particular type of music. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the one with um, the one that surprised me was this one with um, 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 reggae music. That mm-hmm. reggae music, the guy who started that whole thing that was producer for Bob Marley, mm-hmm. um, was believed he was from another planet. And a lot of these guys, you know, believed that they they came from somewhere else. John Denver being, I guess, the most 
bizarre one that he claimed he was. That. Can tell he, us about that. Well, he claimed he he said I imagined, and he wrote a song called Spirit. It was never released while he was alive, but it was released after he died. Hmm. And it talks about uh, these various stars in this constellation Lyra. And he said that he uh, imagined that he, that it, what it would be like to live there or that he'd live there or something. But the guy who wrote the song, the lyrics for, for Spirit, said, no, John Denner actually believed he was from um, the, the constellation Lyra. And so you get a lot of these people who, and it's amazing. I mean, Patti Smith, uh, again, back to Saturday Night Live, believed that she was not from this planet. Uh, I, I even have a chapter. I should just quickly look it up here. I mean, the the ones who believe that that they were from another planet, it's it's staggering how many there are. And wow. uh, and yet, and the other thing was that they they all seem to be the the originator of a type of music, not just. Um, um, Mimicking just, others, yeah, yeah. Where, where they're they're down the road, they it's mm-hmm. almost like they they started like Sun Ra was one of the first in in jazz, and you get these kind of things, uh, which you see these patterns popping up, mm-hmm. or the number of um, musicians who have um, um, uh, UFOs appearing over their rock concerts. You know, mm-hmm. Bon Jovi and uh, Jimi Hendrix and and Bono and. Uh, 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 Ozzy Osbourne, uh, just just bizarre. Or how many musicians mm-hmm. have had uh, UFO movies or TV? Just just really really bizarre that they're not only interested in in music, but like David Bowie played in the Man Who Fell to Earth, which That's is right. basically his whole shtick was this thing about he was this alien from another from another planet and stuff, and that's how he became famous with beginning uh, glam rock. He's the guy that started glam rock, and and the the gays basically give him credit for opening the door for them to to come public. And uh, Eric Clapton played the music for Communion. Billy Ray Cyrus, uh, uh, just it goes on and on and on. Uh, these these different people who uh, Jerry Garcia. Most people would not know that Jerry Garcia was in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm, I've he, heard he you was say play- that. Yeah, he was playing in a, in an extra, and uh, so you you find this 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 kind of thing where uh, like how many UFO. TV shows are there? I mean, there there are almost none, and yet we, I think there's four musicians who've had their own UFO TV show. Billy Ray Cyrus had one. I don't know if it ever aired, but they did the pilots and stuff like that. And I mean, here's a guy who's pretty famous guy who, um, you know, claimed he'd photographed four UFOs and five uh, five UFOs, and he he tweets it. He puts the photo on online, and it just sort of really bizarre. Or Michael Jackson. Who won how many Grammys? I don't know how many Grammys. He said the, the the Grammy that he was most proud of was the work that he did. He did the voice over for E.T. Uh, storybook, mm-hmm. and he said it was the most. Uh, he was proud of more proud of that Grammy than any other one. He felt an association with E.T. the extraterrestrial because he he believed he was like E.T. He was very very famous. But he really couldn't go, couldn't go anywhere. He had to stay hidden all the time, and uh, had had this great uh, sort of psychological relationship with with ET. So um, hmm. it just, just very very bizarre connections where you you see these parallels to to different uh, things, right. and and the the, the albums, uh, even one that I don't know if um, she's all that. Um, out of New York City, and uh, her name is escaping me. Uh, her album cover she did for me, and um, we found this that a number of experiences had drawn the same sort of um, mm-hmm. 
things. And it was on her album cover. She had a, um, a UFO experience, dramatic UFO experience. And I should remember her name, but she's not not that famous a musician. But she had the same um, agent as um, 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 Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. and so she she had this very dramatic experience, and then uh, started very very good drawer, very, like a very right brain, unbelievable drawer. And uh, said, you know, she had ADHD, which is another thing that you find with uh, a lot of experiencers, a, a parallel with experiencers right. and musicians. Uh, she said she really couldn't go through school. Uh, they, she was called stupid. And yet when she did a right brain, left brain thing, her uh, right brain was uh, the score. I don't know how they do the score. It was 140 and her left brain was down at 35 or something. Mm-hmm. She had to quit school and join a band. And she's put out like 16 albums and it traces all this back to 1979, this dramatic experience in New York City where uh, she actually thought this huge thing the size of a six-story apartment building was going to actually come down on her. They were waiting for fireworks to start on July the 4th and then suddenly starts channeling uh, alien-type music and is able to channel and is able to heal people. And the same thing that you see with these experiencers, that they, they report all these sort of parallel uh, uh, paranormal phenomena that they're able to see the future and, and mm-hmm. heal people and uh, uh, have out of body experiences and have ghosts around their house and shadow people and that's right. and and it, you see these parallels and that's I think basically what it comes down to that uh, I don't know if you've interviewed uh, Ray Hernandez who is with um, uh, Edgar Mitchell started this free foundation yes. for uh, yeah. foundation for research into extra uh, um, experiencer uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, he had an experience just after seeing me lecture on consciousness. He had his wife was seeing these very dramatic um, UFOs. She believed it was all um, God and uh, Jesus, and she had a very sort of religious interpretation for what she was seeing. And he contacted me saying, "There's a consciousness aspect to this. My wife is is talking to these, be able to pull these things in." And then when I tried it, it I was able to bring this thing in, and there's a consciousness aspect. What's going on? I said, well, I'm going to be in Florida. That's where he lived. He was an IRS uh, attorney in Florida. Mm -hmm. So he met me there at this conference, and three days later, he has this download, which basically, I think, sort of explains it, is he's shown by the aliens this giant wheel, and the wheel is spinning, and he's sort of in the middle of the wheel, and the wheel has all the cogs, sort of the, the spokes of the wheel have something different. One is uh, psychic phenomena, one is channeling, one is quantum physics, uh, one is UFOs, and basically they're saying it's all the same thing. It's just, it's, it's, you're just parsing it into these different things, and they're all connected. They're all basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think you, you get this sort of tie-in that music is, is um, the ability of these people, right brain people, to basically shut down their left brain and tap into um, the universal consciousness, like get, get the password onto the Internet and download this material. Because mm-hmm. as part of my manuscript, what I do is I do not just uh, alien stuff. I, I start getting into um, the download type stuff because that's um, what impressed me so much about my shift from nuts and bolts to consciousness when it came to UFOs. And and what had happened was I started looking at, at, at downloads and that's when I came across what got me sort of a second part of the music thing was I came across the whole story about um, Paul McCartney. 
-hmm. and his download of the song yesterday, yesterday, which is one of the most uh, produced songs of the 20th century, mm -hmm. one of the best-selling songs of the 20th century. And he describes how he wakes up from this dream. He's in a room with a piano in the room. The song is in his head, the lyrics, the song, and he quickly records it. He puts it down, and then he runs around to all his friends for weeks on end, and he plays this song for them, and he said, have you heard this song? He's absolutely convinced that somebody has written this song, and he's just replaying some song, and he finds out, no, it's not. And he's had a couple of uh, three songs that came in dreams, and so I got into this whole thing about um, downloads that uh, musicians are getting it, maybe not so much from... Uh, uh, aliens that aliens are in this non-local world that's mm -hmm. the dream world that's where they live and so mccartney tells the other one which i think is one of the most bizarre stories a song that i forever misinterpreted and i think everybody misinterprets it and that's let it be and the lyrics say uh, when in times of trouble mother mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom let it be let it be and i always thought it was the mother mary jesus mother in the bible and i think everybody thinks that Mm -hmm. And no, this is his second song that he got in a dream. And his mother's name was Mary. And his mother died at 14 years old from cancer. And it was the end of the 1960s. And the Beatles are breaking up. He's trying to hold them together. I think Harrison had actually left the band. And he had just separated from his girlfriend. He was very distressed about what was going on. And his mother appears to him in a dream. His mother, Mary, appears to him in a dream. And he said, it was so nice to meet her, to, to see her again. And she said, about his troubles, she said, it'll be okay, let it be. And that's mm -hmm. where the song comes. Mother Mary comes to me in times of trouble, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. And so you, I started looking at it, and then I saw this connection with, and I, so in one of the chapters, I think it's an appendix I do to the book, is dreams, or songs that came in dreams. And I have 150 songs that, that came in dreams. And some oh, of the, the, the most uh, powerful songs of, of the, the 20th century uh, that, that came in dreams, like uh, Satisfaction by Rolling Stones. Uh, Keith Richards is in, in Florida. And he, all of them, I, I checked this too. I checked with musicians. Mm -hmm. Every time I talk to a musician, I'll say, do you have a pad beside your bed and a tape recorder? And almost everybody says the same thing. Oh, yeah, yep, I got a pad. Wow. I, I have it there. And he, uh, Richards had a tape recorder. He wakes up in the middle of the night. And he sings the riff for no, no Satisfaction. And the next thing you hear on the tape is him snoring. And he, 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 he doesn't even realize he's got it until the next day he plays the tape. And then he goes and they put this song. I mean, one of the most famous songs of all time. Absolutely. That, that basically came from him dreaming. And yeah. you, So you get this, this connection to this Absolutely. bizarre sort of thing. Or, or you know, um, songs that came in, in within 10 minutes. I've got a hundred songs that came almost within ten minutes, and one of them, I, I, the most bizarre, to show how bizarre this phenomena gets, is um, one by the Guess Who, and this is a band that came out of my city, a very famous band, probably the most famous band ever to come out of Canada. Mm -hmm. They sang the famous song "American Woman," and w at the point when I believed, I, I had about thirty ex um, musicians that I believed were experiencers. I said. I think they've got everybody. I think every major musician, and it's all, almost always the lead singer of the band. You've mentioned who that. Is, yeah. Who is the one who has the connection. Mm -hmm. So the, the lead singer for the Guess Who was Burton Cummings. So I said, I wonder if Burton Cummings has been abducted. So I Google search abduction, 
Burton Cummings, and it pops up his Facebook page. I could not believe it. He says he's talking about Whitley Strieber. And if you're you know, not in the UFO business, you don't know who Whitley Strieber is, That's but right. if you're an experiencer, you know he's like probably the most famous experiencer of all times mm-hmm. who started and wrote the book Communion. That a lot of experiencers will say when they saw the picture of Communion, they knew they'd been abducted. They, uh, mm-hmm. One woman actually said she fell, almost fell to her knees and dropped her one-year-old kid. She was so shocked wow. when she saw the cover of that book. And Burton Cummings is saying, they're mistreating this guy. They're, they're, they're giving this guy a hard time. Uh, this is, they shouldn't treat him like this. I know how he feels and stuff like this. And I'm going, wow. So you have this connection where he's got this this UFO connection, and he's writing in caps. He says, I'm 64 years old. I'll say whatever I want. I don't give a shit. What anybody... And he's like really upset about this whole thing that people are mistreating Whitley Strieber, which would mean nothing to most of his Facebook audience, but meant a lot to me. So he tells the story. Here's I'll show you how bizarre this gets. Mm-hmm. He tells the story about the most famous song that they sang, which was American Woman, which was number one in the United States for three weeks. And uh, the, the biggest song ever to come out of Canada and he tells a story. They're in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. And he's behind stage negotiating with a guy to buy some records. And Gary, uh, uh, Randy Bachman is on stage. He's broken a guitar string. And he's fixing the string. And, and then he's tuning the guitar. And so uh, Burton Cummings says, I got to go. The second set is starting. I got to go. I'll get the records later. He goes running on stage. And they sing American Woman. They play this song. They sing it. And they look down in the audience. And they see this kid. This is 1968. They see this kid with a handheld tape recorder. And he's holding this. As, this is when they first came out. Handheld tape recorders. He's holding the handheld tape recorder up. And they realize this kid's going to bootleg the show. So they give, put a message to the manager. Get the kid. Get this tape off this kid. So mm-hmm. they grab the tape. And then they finish the this, this set. They finish the thing. And at night they're, they're playing back this, this tape. And they hear this song, American Woman, and they all look at each other and say, where did that come from? None of them remembered ever playing it. It was an instantaneous song that nobody had, nobody had written it, and they didn't even remember playing it during the set. Really? They said, if it hadn't been for that kid with that handheld tape recorder, this famous song, American Woman, would never have existed because they didn't write it. And it came spontaneously. So there, there's a lot of these. I have 100 songs, oh, 110 wow. minutes, where these songs come uh, literally spontaneously. It was just there. And that's what I, I think it is. It's basically this this idea that Atman equals Brahman, that the small mind equals the big mind, mm-hmm. and that musicians can shut down this uh, the small mind and get the password and get into the, the, the Brahman the where frame. everything is, where everything's contained, mm-hmm. and download what they want, which I is agree. S- similar even to if you get um, a similar example is if you take a look at mediums. There's one study that showed that uh, women who are mm-hmm. mediums, the one study had 16 mediums, uh, 13 of them had had uh, child abuse issues. That when they were chi- children, they had had uh, abuse issues, sexual abuse issues, or whatever. And um, what it allows them is to disassociate, which is what it is, shutting down the left brain. You, mm-hmm. You're able to dissociate, and because you've, you've got a very bad childhood, you're able to shut the physical world off because it, it's so painful that they're able to shut the physical world off and suddenly, poop, they pop into this non-local world mm-hmm. and suddenly they start hearing voices and they start uh, channeling dead people and stuff like that. And I remember I was in Toronto, this was last year, and, and I was talking to a producer about this who wanted to do a music uh, thing with, with um, musicians and this connection to the aliens. And I was telling him about this. He said, no, I don't believe this. I don't believe this is true. And, I, and then this girl came up and she's actually a, a, a medium. 
and she was showing us some UFO photographs and, and stuff like that. And I said, watch this. And I said, uh, Osi, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, can I, what was your childhood like? And she starts this rant about how sexual abuse, mm. physical abuse, yeah. psychological abuse. And I turned to her and said, see, I told you. And so there's this trauma element to this whole thing that um, where you, that's where you get into this ADHD thing where you start looking at uh, all these other things and then you look at is this accidental and I, I don't think really anything's accidental that I believe what's happened is we've come into the world we have a mission we have something we have to do so musicians who have taken on ADHD or ADD or, or any of these kind of things we look at it as a, um, a disadvantage right. that it's a handicap right. but in yeah. some ways it is actually an advantage agreed you need these things. Mm-hmm. So people are choosing to take this kind of stuff because they need it to do what they're going to do in this world. Agreed. And you mm-hmm. start seeing these connections to everything else. It all sort of ties together and it starts to make sense that it's a very complex world and that um, everybody uh, has a, a mission and that they're... Uh, so I look, I, when I talk to people, I say, what you have to do is you have to look at what am I here to do instead of worrying about what everybody else is going to do? When are we going to get disclosure? Uh, when is the government going to stop doing this or that? It really doesn't matter. All that matters is what have you come here to do right. and are you doing it? I've often wondered or I've, I've often thought about um, surveying, kind of doing a man on the street grant where I just go out and say, have you ever asked yourself what your purpose in life here is? Yeah. <clears throat> and my fear is that the majority of the answers that I would get is No. No, I've never wondered <laughs> because yeah. I think we have been indoctrinated largely so much into parroting the other and following a template and choosing from a list, a predetermined list that, um, y- you know, you're right. The, it, the answers aren't going to come and the, it, the evolution to whatever degree is not going to come by choosing the best item on the list, but rather shutting that down and it, what I call the taking the sovereign journey. And oftentimes the catalyst for that sovereign journey is just relenting to the right brain, like you said, and and taking these so-called disorders. As a matter of fact, Mary Rodwell and I just had a lovely discussion about <clears throat> um, what she's calling the new human and how this this gross miscalculation of these children with autism, ADHD, Aspergers, the letter people, <laughs> um, yep. are these are not disorders, people. This is this is not a disorder. We are grossly misunderstanding. These are dynamic. Uh, uh, individuals that are um, that society just has not caught up with yet. So we're on to yeah. something. Common yeah. threads, indeed. Listen, we're running out of time. We may have to devote another show to the the presidential aspect of this. But you know what? Maybe you could give us a little teaser, Grant. What's going on? Because I want people to go to your your website, presidentialufo.com, to keep up to speed. This man is working so fast, and as he should be with all that's going on in presidential politics. But could you give us a little teaser about what you and I talked about offline, and then we're going to close out? Yeah. Okay, it's basically, um, I had done presidents, and then I got out of presidents. I actually gave all my documents away. I said, the president knows he's not going to tell you. What's the point? (laughs) And then Hillary opened her mouth and said that John and her, John Podesta, who's her campaign chairman, uh, they're going to disclose UFOs when they get when when they get in. They're gonna they're gonna make a move, and I thought, well, it's you know typical politician, whatever. And then when I started looking behind the scenes, I realized that John Podesta is the most powerful Democrat in the country, and he is uh, the uh, big Democratic think tank in Washington is his invention, and he is a what's called a Madison man. He wants 
open government. He says that basically it's a democracy and that the people are voting, assuming they know what's going on. And if they don't know what's going on, they really can't vote. You, you have to have the people knowing what's going on. And that's his, his basic purpose. He gave an interview two weeks ago to uh, KLS TV in, in Las Vegas. And this is the TV station that broke the Area 51 story. Mm-hmm. And it was in there he had these words that everybody sort of played. A lot of people played the clip and seen the clip, but they haven't realized what he actually said. He said, I think I've convinced her. She has to sit down and she has to take a look at all the information and then decide we have to try to release as much of this UFO stuff as possible. And basically what it comes down to is the president knows. The president is the one who is running the cover-up and they want to protect him, everybody from knowing that. And what he's saying is, I tried to talk to uh, Clinton. We know he, he tried to get Clinton to, re- to make a disclosure. He couldn't. He talked to Barack Obama. He couldn't. And he came up with a famous tweet that said, um, the biggest disappointment of 2014, that was when he was with Barack Obama, is I wasn't able to get the, the UFO disclosure. And then he makes these key words. He says, I think I've convinced her. So Clinton wouldn't do it. Obama wouldn't do it. But he says, I think I've convinced her. He believes that Hillary is going to do it. And the president has all the information. Hillary will have all the documents in front of her. The president runs all all the classification. People think it's rules. It's not. All security, all classification, all the secret stuff is run by executive order. That's the president. So Hillary will have all the material in front of her. Mm -hmm. And John Podesta says he's convinced her to make a move and make a UFO disclosure. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Well, we, we're definitely going to have to continue this because I, I've got to bring this up before we close out. I find that very interesting because, you know, obviously there's a lot of discussion about um, how it's not that, that many of these president, presidents are on a need-to-know basis. And the, the famous, uh, who was it? Was it J- uh, Jimmy Carter who was questioning and, and promised that he was going to, to look into this um, and reveal what he knew to the public? And then uh, was it George Bush Sr. who said... Um, you know, I'm sorry, but you're on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I, 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 we will do a show because yeah, I just I'd did a lecture. To. I just did an hour and a half lecture a couple of days ago in Michigan on that very subject, mm-hmm. and I go through the whole thing about okay. this illusion. I used to believe that too. Okay, uh, and, and uh, I go through uh, the Constitution. He's the head of state. I go through the fact he's the head of the the military, and the people in the United States will uh, follow the Constitution. And uh, so I go through all the different things, and I, I go through that whole thing with Bush. Well, what Bush said to him is, curiosity is not sufficient need to know. Mm. If you want those documents, you have to go to the House Science and Technology Committee. So Carter knew he was getting the top secret documents. The documents he was asking for was the documents he'd promised the people, because the House is the junior uh, part of the the Congress, it's Senate, and then House lowers the, is the House, and the Science and Technology Committee in the House would not have the top secret files. They would not have the Roswell files, so he would not be telling him to go there for the top secret files. He's asking for the files for the people, and it, basically, what's happened is uh, the president gets in, and he has to shut up. He once he gets the briefing. Uh, so it's, it's a very sort of co- complex story, but uh, I can absolutely prove you, prove to you that the president knows. And that's the whole thing that people, they don't want you to know. And that's why Bill Clinton played the game. And he said, um, 
I'm probably not the first president they've kept in the dark or the bureaucrats have tried to wait out. And he's basically just lying. If you listen to Barack Obama, 2012 in Roswell, New Mexico, he tells the jokes about the little kids asking about Roswell, and then he stops and he hesitates before he goes into the speech and he says, we'll keep our secrets here. Mm -hmm. They know. They absolutely know. They just can't talk about it because if it is known that the president knows, number one, and more importantly, that the president is running the cover-up, that he is the guy that controls it, the, the cover-up the, the cover is over in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. New York Times, Washington Post, everybody will descend on the White House, and that's what they want to protect. They want you to think the president's going to be killed by, you know, uh, assassinated if he talks about UFOs. They want you to believe that to keep you away from asking the president. The president knows, and he's the guy, he's the Wizard of Oz. He's the guy that's controlling the cover-up. Okay. So we'll do that some other We're gonna time. We're going to do it's, that in, in sooner than later, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Grant. <laughs> Would yeah. you be willing to come back and, and, and lift his devote an hour to the show before the presidential election? Oh, absolutely, because okay, it, it's, it's, it's – There's some inferences yeah. here that are, that are mind-blowing, so – yeah, I'll yeah. I'll even send you my um my PowerPoint for um, my lecture a couple days ago, which great. gets into this and it's it's very detailed. I, I say it's one of the rat uh, one of the sort of the rabbit holes where mm -hmm. uh, I believed one thing and I actually apologized to people. I said if you see on my website and a lot of the stuff on presidential UFO uh, site, I say the president doesn't know. I say I made a boo boo. It is absolutely that. wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm retracting this, mm -hmm. and I can prove to you absolutely for a fact that the president knows, and the president is running the cover-up. Wow. I'm gonna leave it there. Cliffhanger. Big <laughs> cliffhanger. Man, thank you so much. Grant thank Cameron, you for your interest. You are I... the man. I just I'm so <laughs> delighted that we met, and I'm not gonna let you go now. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone I want you to listen carefully to what he's got there was a lot of stuff don't you agree a lot of stuff he included in this this short one hour but I also want you to go to presidentialufo.com to find out more of what he is up to and keep tuning in here to Higher Journeys Radio because he's coming back I guarantee you Greg, <laughs> Grant Cameron thank you so so much thank you as politically and socially incorrect as it may seem it cannot be denied that the spiritual aspect to this elusive phenomenon we call the ET UFO experience is the predominant theme that just refuses to relent. And apparently, there are many well-known and unknown musicians who already know this. Where do these lyrics come from? Why is it that so many of our most cherished musical artists have out-of-this-world stories to tell? And why aren't we hearing even more about this phenomenon? I think we can all agree plot thickens, but so do the messages. And as we heard quite clearly from Grant Cameron, the message very well may be within the music. We appreciate your tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. And speaking of tuning in, you can now listen to Higher Journeys Radio on demand and subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher. I hope you'll do so. Thanks as always for joining us on the journey. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.